SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan J. Hello. What's your tagline? 60% water, 100% star stuff. Sam Schultz is also with us at the moment. Hi. What's your tagline? Jolly old elf. And Sari Riley is here as well. What's your tagline? Spicy whispers. Ooh. And I'm Hank Green. My tagline is small green... Person, <laughs> you look so ashamed of yourself. As you said. <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one up a maze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. We're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but we're bad at that sometimes. So if you go on a tangent and the rest of us deem it unworthy, we can dock you a Hank buck. Now, as always, we introduce this week's science topic with the traditional science poem. 
It's not from me, thank goodness, because I don't have one. It's from Sam. <laughs> oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, a phylum coniferophyta. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, come bearing woody gynosperm. <laughs> Generally pine or fir or spruce, but out of plastic sometimes produced. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, your resins farmed industrially to make turpentine. I got one more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, your origins are somewhat lost to history. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, but you were embraced by German peasantry. <laughs> you might represent life eternal or celebrate the world tree Yggdrasil. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, remnant of Saturnalia. <laughs> I approve. Okay. We're going to, in post, we'll do some reverb and put in some sleigh bell sounds. Oh, tuna. Tuna, you doing it? (laughs) So our topic today is not Christmas trees, but more broadly... <laughs> festive ecology. <laughs> Whose idea was this? It's was Sarah's. There's a Wikipedia page on it, and I oh, thought it was there cute. was a Wikipedia page called Festive Ecology. Yeah. Ah, oh, no one told me that. <laughs> <laughs> festive ecology. So I assume reindeer, mm-hmm. holly, mm-hmm. mistletoe, mm-hmm. Uh, penguins. I would extend it to polar bears, penguins, mm-hmm. anything that you yeah. could see on. A commercial for Coca-Cola right. products. Coca-Cola itself. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not alive. Uh, yeah. So what is festive ecology? Basically that. Wikipedia defines it as <laughs> <laughs> the relationships between like plants, fungi, animals, and the cultural events such as festivals, processions, and special occasions. Oh, okay. So anything like that. that, like a cornucopia, is also technically festive, festive ecology okay. because oh. it's like fruit, I think. Yeah, there are other festive times than yeah. solstice. Rabbits yeah. are probably oh, sure. yeah. festive Eggs. ecology. What's a fungi? Yeah, what's the most what's, festive, what's a festive fungi? fungi? I don't know. Well, you, you said it. Wikipedia <laughs> said it. You didn't give a good example it's of it. It's just trying to include all the living things. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeast. Right. Yeast. Oh, yeast is uh, extremely that's festive. Think. That's true. Do you want the etymology? I know I know ecology. The study of the home. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, like our earth is the home. Oh, of yeah. Biosphere One. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of more dickish way of saying biosphere one in my life (laughs) what's festive though from feast feast of all i want to have one of those with pringles that's my plan for christmas morning they had the pringles that were all the different flavors for thanksgiving they had turducken this year so it was turkey duck chicken yeah mashed potatoes (laughs) like all of it or are they different there was a different set of Pringles for each flavor. But you're supposed to eat them all together to make the proper turkey So turkey flavor. Pringles taste different from duck Pringles, which taste different from chicken Apparently Pringles. so. You We're- know, there is a flavor scientist who did that, and I want to t- talk to them. I want to have a long conversation, both about how, like the technique of their work and also just sort of how they feel. <laughs> about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> what drives, are you proud of what you've what done? What drives you, <laughs> turducken Pringle man? You don't get a lot of interviews with flavor scientists. <laughs> is it because it's like a secret I think or something? Secret, it yeah, is. yeah, secrets. Okay, they have so much to explain for themselves. Like <laughs> yeah. they got to come clean fla- about a lot. Yeah, the flavor scientists at Oreo have to just be <laughs> yeah. overworked, just yeah. very tired. <laughs> and now it's time for. <laughs> 
One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but two of them are lies. And we have to figure out which one is the true one. If we do, we get a sandbuck. If not, then Sari gets the sandbuck. Sari, hit me with your facts. The poinsettia, or poinsettia, is the leafy red festive plant. Is it both ways? Yes, according to the dictionary. And people set it out around Christmas, and then I don't know where they go for the rest of the year. Um, (laughs) So, which of these facts about it is true? One, in the wild, poinsettia plants are long and gangly, nothing like what gets sold today. The reason they got popular as a Christmas plant was a parasitic bacterial infection that caused excessive branching and Mm. cute, short, dense plants that then were marketed heavily. Number two... One horticulturalist created a hybridized poinsettia that had a mild vanilla flavor and started marketing it as a holiday decoration and treat. Mm. However, people started eating a ton of the non-hybridized version and got sick, which is why the all poinsettias are poisonous warning spread and this weird edible version went extinct. Or number three, material scientists have discovered a new use for the holiday leftovers of poinsettias. They extract milky sap from the branches and some leaves and process it like latex from rubber trees to make natural rubber gloves and other products that are relatively eco-friendly. So we have three things here. In the wild, poinsettia plants don't look like that, but they have had a parasitic infection that makes them all bushy and leafy. Two, a horticulturalist created a vanilla-flavored poinsettia, and then people started eating the other ones and got sick, and so now you don't have just, like, all poinsettias are poisonous. Or three, material scientists have used the sap from poinsettia plants to make a kind of rubber for, like, gloves and stuff. Now, I know, one, that this is a thing that has happened to some plants, that they get infections, and that makes them more desirable to Mm -hmm. us, even though it is not as good for the plant. Mm -hmm. And I also know that you're not supposed to eat poinsettias, and I was told that a lot as a child, Mm -hmm. that they were poisonous. And I also know that if you break a poinsettia stem, milk does come out. Mm -hmm. And Mm. all of those are great, great Basis is for lies. Yeah. So the one with the sap involves recycling. Uh huh. Which so that makes it seem less plausible to me. Why? We're not so good at that. Wait, I mean, well, here's the thing: people throw away their poinsettia plants, and this is what I know about humans. We're fine throwing away stuff we're used to throwing away. We do not like throwing away stuff we're not used to throwing away. And so we're like, I'm freaking out about throwing away this thing when like you threw away like a thousand pieces of plant matter in the last year, but this one you care about. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, I want to fix this problem. And so then people fix the problem, even though it's not a big problem. So it seems like somebody might have worried about that specifically because we're not used to throwing poinsettias away. We had poinsettias, but no one told me they were toxic. But I think I just didn't like lick plants a lot. No, yeah, you don't. Like, that's really weird to have a particular Mm -hmm. plant be like, don't eat it. I'm like, it. I don't eat plants. <laughs> I, I don't normally. And none of the plants eat. in this house will I eat. We never had poinsettias, but I still know that they're toxic. Mm-hmm. But that we might just be because school. they are. Yeah. You had them at school? Mm-hmm. That's the place where kids eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad place to have them. Yeah. Well, unless they're not poisonous and it's all lies. Oh, my mm. gosh. Why would you make a vanilla flavor? Especially if the thing is that they are toxic. Like- also, it's Christmas. You want to make it like smell like pine or mint or something. Yeah. Not- Gingerbread. Gingerbread. That's such a January flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the rubber glove one, that's just boring enough to be it. But there aren't that many poinsettias in circulation, are there, to make? Yeah, and also you'd have to do it all at once. Do people throw them away? 
I see them at Christmas and then they're gone. And I, I guess people just toss them. <laughs> are they planted in dirt at Christmas? Or are they're they just... in a pot with dirt. Yeah, I have no idea where they go either. Apparently, maybe to gloves sometimes. <laughs> I've it... never received one, so I've never had a deal with a poinsettia. Yeah. I hope yeah. no one gifts me one ever. <laughs> so I don't have to think about it. But as someone who only recently started having houseplants, I just can't imagine that I would have the houseplant. Like, plants are expensive. Yeah, they are. And so, like, you buy this plant. Like, why would you throw it away? I mean, I guess that's what we do with the Christmas tree, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, ain't cheap. I am going to put an end to this and I'm going to go for the gloves, I guess. This is wild. I must be wrong. I'm going to go for the gloves, I guess. You go next. Okay, I'm going to There's go... not enough material in a poinsettia to make a glove. I'm You're doing it. You're locked in. You're locked in. <laughs> I'm going to go with the first one, the, the parasitic infection. Okay. I'm going to go. I know it's going to be wrong, but I'm going to go with the gloves. Ooh. Oh, he's going with the gloves too. You're going with me? Whoa. I think you're wrong. But Two on gloves. It is the parasitic bacteria. Ah! Yes. Coming, clawing my way back. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of a bacterial infection, like you said, Hank, uh, happens in nature and <laughs> it ha- happens to things that humans end up liking. But the history of poinsettias is very intense because in the early 1900s, there was one family, their last name was Poinsettia. <laughs> no, someone's name was Poinsettia. And he was brought the first plant from Mexico to the mm. United States, mm. but the X really commercialized it. E-C-K? E-C-K-E-S. Oh, I thought you meant his like ex-wife or something. No. <laughs> the X grafted together two types of Poinsettia plants. And it, as part of that grafting process... They infected the plant with what are called phytoplasmas. Intentionally? I think accidentally. Okay. Some part of like the plants that they chose to graft to one another Mm -hmm. did this infection process. Phytoplasmas are bacterial parasites of plants that are known to cause excessive branching. Mm. And a bunch of other horticulturalists throughout the 1900s were trying to make bushy poinsettias, but Mm. couldn't figure it out. They were like cross-pollinating different species to try and get the colors and branchiness. But the X had a monopoly on this grafting process until Mm. a scientist figured it out in the 1980s and was like, it's not any of these weird horticulture techniques you're trying. They just stuck two plants together and infected them. And that's what's causing poinsettias uh, to bloom in this very particular uh, bushy weird. way. And so then the scientists publish a paper about it. And then the X, at this point, it was like X the third mm-hmm. or whatever, was like, dang it, you revealed our secret. And so they still have uh, a big corner on the poinsettia market. But, but other people can do it now. Now other people can do it they because they've learned wow. how. It's like the secret ingredient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. So they intentionally infect. Do they still graft it together? Or mm-hmm. like, whoa. Oh. Jeez. Like, it's a lot of work. A lot of work goes into each point. Yeah. Because it seems like a trash plant. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. It seems like you just throw it in the garbage and you're done. With it. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like green naturally. And then to get the leaves red, oh. you have to deprive it of light. No. What the heck? Oh. And certain cycles like make it extremely dark. And so you have to like, heavily control the environment to get it red. And so I think mm-hmm. if you kept your poinsettia for longer than a year, it would turn green and it wouldn't look all pretty oh, and Christmassy. And you and have you, to throw You're like, this is trash now. Yeah, this is, just looks like a normal what? plant. No, but that's better because that's a, you don't want a poinsettia sitting around when it's not the holiday season. But then, you, then, but then the holiday season rolls around and you're like, I just got a green plant. Well, yeah, 
It's called a rehabilitated plant. That's to right. Experience it's... all this trauma of being deprived of light. Yeah. Almost thrown in the trash. Almost, almost <laughs> trash. The other two facts are kind of tied together. We think poinsettias are poisonous because they can cause nausea and diarrhea. If I eat them? If you eat them. Okay. And at some that. point okay. in like 1919, a girl died and her parents blamed it on poinsettia leaves, but they weren't entirely sure. So it kind of spread as an urban legend. Wow. But as we've That's tested, a long time ago. Yeah. yeah, we've tested like toxicity of poinsettias and trying to, I think, feed it to rats or things like that. Mm -hmm. But we've gotten to numbers of like 500 leaves and that's still not a deadly dosage. 500 leaves for one rat? Yeah, and it's still not deadly. So it's like... They seem okay. They seem okay. It's Everybody at home, if you're listening, eat that poinsettia. You've wanted to your whole life. Yeah. Don't let these lies hold you back. Give it the chow. Yeah. Munch if, on that boy. If a rat can have 500, imagine how many you can have. Yeah. You're going to poop weird yeah. or throw up. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it'll be festive, though. So there's no vanilla-flavored plants? Um, There is a vanilla-flavored plant. Well, well, besides vanilla. The one, besides vanilla. the one called vanilla. <laughs> besides vanilla, there's the blue java banana or oh, ice cream banana. And it's a banana that apparently has like a soft, creamy texture, kind of like vanilla. What the heck? For the gloves fact, poinsettias do have milky sap and that causes irritation in certain groups of people, especially those with latex allergies. Right. And so that's where I got mm, that fact because okay. latex is the milky sap from So if you have a latex allergy, I rescind my previous comments that you should eat the heck out of that boy. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. I loved it. Every second of it, except the part where I didn't win. Yeah. Now it's time to go for a short break, and then we will be back for the fact off. What a wow! Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services. These things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But it does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's, there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling <laughs> rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and ha- it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of bean, I guess. 
a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening. That all, all that's building up around you. Oh, this is <laughs> terrifying. I'm so, <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right. Factor ad. I don't, I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get mm -hmm. chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. Ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. All right, we're back. Sari's got two points. Sam's got one. Stefan's got one. I got zero. Ziplo. Congratulations, Sari. Thank you. Yeah, good job. Good job. <laughs> now it's a chance for me to get my point because it's time for the fact off where two panelists have brought in science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow your minds. You each have a sandbook to award the fact that you like the most. And it's going to be me against Stefan. And we're going to decide who goes first. Oh, with this question, which popular festive flora belongs to the same genus as yerba mate used for the beverage mate? Poinsettia. I'll say ivy. Holly. Hey! <laughs> I guess I will go first. Everyone, we are aware that Santa Claus gives gifts, uh -huh. mm -mm. and so he has a big bag full of gifts, yes. but then also he sometimes doesn't give gifts. Oh. Whoa. When you're bad, when you're not. he gives you coal, so he has a separate bag full of coal. Uh, oh. Does he? 
Who I does? Never <laughs> thought about the bag of coal. He's got a separate bag of coal. Everybody knows that he's got the coal bag. Why didn't I? It's instead of being big and red, it's smaller, but still quite big and black. Uh, and it's a dirty bag of coal. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you also For the have sake a... of the segment, I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> it's got a magic bag he pulls it all out of, but okay. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. Like, the yeah. coal is just at the bottom of all the toys. Right. You have to, like, <laughs> go a big way in there and be like, oh, another bad one. I got to go all the way down past all the scratch and sniff jello. So... He has to have a bunch of coal for everybody. And that's really sad for you, unless you're a mineralogist. Mm. And uh-huh. coal can be a real good gift, actually. <laughs> for example, if you're Boris Valentinovich Chesnikov in 1989, and you are investigating a burning Russian coal mine, and you discover a brand new mineral. And that mineral is a yellow-white color and formed small plates that further microscopy revealed were made up of rectangular crystals. There were two made ingredients that made up this crystal. One was the warm gas produced by the burning coal in the mine, and the other ingredient was bird poop. Chesnikov named the mineral tenunculite for Falco tenunculus, the European kestrel, whose poop contributed the uric acid that crystallizes in this mineral. However... Chesnikov wanted tenunculite to be an official mineral, and when it was submitted to the Commission on New Mineral Names, which is a thing, uh, <laughs> as part of the International Mineralogical Association, it was not approved as a mineral because oh. the definition of a mineral requires that the formation cannot involve human activity, and the coal mine was on fire because of people. Now, there are some coal mines that are naturally on fire, but this particular coal mine was on fire unnaturally. Got him on a technicality. (laughs) Got him on a technicality. So, tenunculite was not a mineral, and and, and it was sad for poor Boris. But then in 2012, scientists, after much searching... So this was 1989 to 2012. They found tenunculite in the Arctic tundra of the Kola Peninsula, where the cold and the humidity helped drive the crystallation, so that tenunculite is now officially recognized as a mineral species, but only that one and not the one that Boris found. Actually, (laughs) different species of tenunculite, but... They did give it the name that he wanted to give it. So I would like to propose to the SciShow Tangents Board of Regents that (laughs) that Santa switch from giving people coal to giving them this uh, bird poop created coal fire not actually necessary for mineral tenunculite. Does it do anything useful? (laughs) No. Okay, then that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) The tundra was in the Arctic where the tenunculite was found. Santa probably made it just for him. Oh, yeah. that was his right. Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. On the Cola Peninsula. The Coca-Cola Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Coca-Cola Peninsula. Yeah. He's yeah. like, birds take a shit right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and all the all the polar bears live there too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they were shitting on it also. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of talk about whether minerals could involve the action of any living species. Right. It turns mm-hmm. out, though, that almost all minerals are the result of the action of living species because without oxygen in the atmosphere, the vast majority of oh. minerals wouldn't happen. Huh. Wow. Yeah. It's all connected, man. It's all connected, man. There's not geology human is... beings, it seems like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We we're, don't we're, we're doing not, our own thing. We're doing different... our thing. We yeah. do do our own thing. Yeah. There's no denying that. We're not just eating and pooping and <laughs> yeah. stuff. All right, Stefan. I've given you a very weird obstacle to overcome. Can you beat 
coal pea minerals. Let's find out. Yeah. As discussed earlier, every year we throw away a bunch of Christmas trees. And apparently a lot of them make it into wood chippers uh, and get turned into mulch. But a lot of them end up in landfills. And uh, in the UK, there are maybe up to 7 million trees going into landfills every year. Wow. And the breakdown of pine needles is mm -hmm. much slower than for other leaves. And as with all decomposition, it releases CO2 into the atmosphere, though that's not like a significant contributor to climate sure. change compared to like the overall amount that we're producing. Sure. But... What if there was something else we could do with these pine needles? Couldn't Rubber be. gloves. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that pine needles are about 85% lignocellulose, uh, which is a polymer that has historically been too complex and rigid as a molecule to be attractive to like industrial processes mm. um, because it takes a lot of energy to break it down. And so this team at Sheffield University in the UK has applied a process called liquefaction to the needles instead. And so this uses sig a significantly lower temperature and either water or glycerol. And glycerol is in a, a pretty cheap solvent. And they say it's environmentally friendly. I couldn't confirm that. So I don't know. You wouldn't want uh, to drink it. You wouldn't want to drink it, but it's apparently an unwanted byproduct. It's like a waste product of biodiesel manufacturing, so mm. this would be a potential use for it. This liquefies the pine needles and turns them into, there's like a liquid result and then a solid like biochar. And the liquid is the thing that like is really valuable potentially because it contains glucose, phenols, and acetic acid. So glucose, pretty straightforward. You could use it in all kinds of food products as a sweetener. Phenols are used in plastic production and different medications. And acetic acid is used for like paint, adhesives, vinegar, all kinds of stuff. It's uh, undiluted vinegar. It's the hard stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the biochar is also potentially useful as a catalyst in other chemical reactions. So my first question was like, well, that's great, but that's like once a year that you have this right. influx of material. But the researcher was pointing out that you could use this on any species of pine tree and also like agricultural waste or like waste from forest management. Mm -hmm. um, so potentially you could be pulling in stuff all year and processing it into this this material. Mm. And then it will become so popular that we'll go out into the forest and we'll just take all the leaves off the mm. pine trees and be like, you don't need these anymore. We need more biochar. What's biochar? I'm not 100%. <laughs> Are we doing it now? No, this is... These are like researchers at a university who right. were like, this is possible, guys. Okay. So we've got me with my weird pea mineral <laughs> made of coal fire. Uh -huh. And we've got Stefan with, what are we going to do with all these pine needles? We're going to make a bunch of industrial, usefully useful products. You have to make your choices and you have to make them now. Are you ready? Yeah. Three. Two, one, Stefan. Dang it. Whoa. Uh, here's why I picked Stefan. Okay. I don't appreciate Santa Claus being used as a smokescreen <laughs> to teach me about rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I like the rocks, but you talked a big game with Santa. Sorry. Hmm. I was just trying to get to the festiveness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, a little roundabout. I chose Stefan because it was more festive. And <laughs> Stefan's process basically makes more coal for Santa. Just like <laughs> ground up bits. Oh. You're welcome. Welcome, Santa. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when your mom gives you presents, does she still pretend Santa gives them to you? Yes. Mine, too. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, I get those Santa in my mom's handwriting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she gets uh, wrapping paper that says naughty that. and nice. And my brother gets one and I get the other. And I always get the naughty one. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> All Does, right. This is our new podcast. <laughs> Sam complains about his mom. <laughs> Does the pretending go beyond writing yes. Santa on yeah, the thing, though? Does she no. eat cookies? She, if I get something that like needs refills, she won't tell me where I can buy like new like, filters. I don't know. I don't know. Santa, Santa brought it. Santa. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> She's devoted. It's magical, though. I love it. <laughs> My dad would eat the things that we left out and we left like increasing amounts of like, <laughs> cookies and carrots and things like that so for like Santa I mean, and the reindeer and the milk. Right. At a certain point you just take a bite out of one and toss Throw the, the rest, rest away. That's true. He probably threw them out. Yeah, Buried them in throwing... the backyard with the poinsettias. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even like think about that as an option. I just assumed that my dad ate like five cookies every year. Oh God! If it was five, five cookies, cookies, he totally ate five yeah. cookies. Yeah. Yeah. I want five cookies. All right, all right. Good job, Stefan. And now it's time to ask the science couch. Three different people asked us this question at Mrs. Bowers twenty two at a tiny mob and at Emily Janet six ask. What's better for the environment, reusable plastic trees or a real tree? I had never thought about this before that, researching like for this episode. Oh. Yeah, it's been something of a hot topic on Twitter yes. in the last couple of yeah. weeks. Well, I people think, arguing about it. I think what it comes down to often is is how you will use these products and also where you live. Yes. Mm. That's one I didn't think of. That. Yeah. My short answer is if you're going to be using this reusable plastic tree for like 10, 15 years, that's going to be better. Yeah. But I don't know where the cutoff is. Doesn't seem like anyone knows where the cutoff is. It's very contentious. Uh, so we're going to go through the pros and cons. Oh boy. Woo. Love a pros and cons. <laughs> Sam is sitting back. He's relaxing across from his arms. He's yeah. just like, what do you prefer, Sam? Oh, I like a fake tree. Oh. The real tree is too messy. Yeah. The needles fall off. I love a real tree. Yeah. So that's like one of the big pros for a plastic tree. So like allergies, mm. you don't have to worry about people who don't want to go out and buy a tree every year. So it's generally cheaper because it's like a one-time oh, purchase. Oh, definitely cheaper. Yeah. Reuse yeah. it over and over again. And according to a study that like asterisk was carried out on plastic tree manufacturers' behalf. So like they, okay. they admitted <laughs> to this. According to that study, if you use an artificial tree for five or more years, the environmental impact is less than a mm. real tree. Depending on where you live. Depending on where you live, depending on where you send it. Like if you send the tree to the landfill instead of mulch. Mm -hmm. So if you are very flippant with where you what you do with your tree <laughs> and you yeah. live far away from a Christmas tree farm, then an artificial tree may be better. Starting mm -hmm. at five years. Starting at five years, but uh -huh. so lots of... don't buy... Well, they, I feel like some people get new artificial trees all the time because they like they get more fancy and they get like cooler and how, you're at what Target are they, and you're like how are they upgrading artificial I don't, have you been to the, the tree section of Target they're like so I, many fancy things yeah, now I'm not they got like festive. embedded lights mm. where you don't have to worry about putting the lights on that's that's kind of nice yeah, but also I nice. like putting on the lights and they do wear out really kind of like they, they kind of wear out yeah mm -hmm. I don't know I've definitely I have friends who've been using their same one for like 20 years yeah but they don't make them like they used to that's also <laughs> true they gotta make them like they used <laughs> the good old days. You can't really recycle trees. Like you see how artificial trees get show up in Goodwill or places like right. that. Mm -hmm. Maybe trees are going to be shipped from overseas. So like you have to consider that artificial trees have mm -hmm. travel time as well. Yeah. Do we import real trees for Christmas at all? I don't no. think so. They're all okay. there are plenty of Christmas tree farms in the U.S. So that's like the pro of the real trees is the fact that. Christmas tree farms are an actual crop. So we're not cutting down forests to decorate our living rooms, except oh, yeah. for the times oh. when people like go out 
Right. On their yeah. own, like rogue agents. And well, and you can also get a permit. We live in Montana where you can get a Christmas tree bur- permit. Oh, uh, and you go out into a certain area and you are allowed to cut a certain size tree. And because trees take so long to grow, like uh, around a decade to grow to like Christmas tree height, mm. they provide like all the good things that trees provide in the yeah. meantime. So it's like planting a bunch of trees and then, I don't know, mm-hmm. you're planting them in cycles. So it's not just like a waste there's like um, a for a little forest out there, a little yeah. mini forest. Yeah, mm-hmm. mini forest in that lines. grow and then get <laughs> harvested. I think the the cons of a real tree, like we said, are transportation. So if you don't live near a Christmas tree farm, then there's gasoline and other things that you have to consider in getting the tree to your place of residence. From the study that the plastic tree manufacturers put out, they said that real trees have a bigger impact on greenhouse gas emissions, water and energy use, and other areas than a reused artificial tree does. They Basically, said so. They were comparing, <laughs> I think, a reused artificial tree to growing a tree from scratch, which like, yes, of course, it's going to use more resources. But they didn't consider factors like wildlife and natural water supply. Like you could just water your Christmas tree farm with the rain. Yeah. Uh, you don't necessarily need sprinklers because they're pretty hardy yeah. growth. Mm-hmm. So big Christmas tree uh, <laughs> has made the research more difficult. Yes. And big it, fake Christmas tree. It seems like there's tree propaganda on both sides of the spectrum. I'm sure there is. And so what these listeners need to do and is like really consider the factors for yourself. There is no one right answer for how to mm-hmm. be eco-friendly. Consider what your, your needs are, the needs of your family are. <laughs> Don't listen to big tree propaganda yeah. and have a merry holiday season. <laughs> Stop fighting. Yeah. Stop fighting. If you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Emily Peugeot1, at Futterduds, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Final scores. I got nothing. I got nothing. Sam's got one. Sarah's got two. And Stefan's got three. A clear winner this oh, week. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving Wally. Stefan my buck. Let yeah. him creep ahead of me. Well, in in the day, but not in total, where you okay. are still leading. But Stefan is only one point behind you. <sighs> I'm only one be- point behind Stefan. And Sam's only one point behind me. I'm in last. This is great. Bro. It's true that you are last. <sighs> if you like this show and you want to help us out, please do several things. One, you can write us a review on iTunes. That helps us know what you like about the show. You can also leave ideas for future topics there. We look and see what you might like us to, to talk about, like whether you want us to talk about different kinds of festive other ologies. <laughs> festive biology. Yeah. Festive mineralogy, which is actually what I did today. Festive, what's another ology? Osteology. Festive Ooh. osteology. Is that bones? That is bones. Ooh. I just love bones. <laughs> bones. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people about us. Thank you for joining. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sarah Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. You know, there's a very festive bone. It's the wish bone. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tantrums is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Baroka Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled but a fire to be lighted.
But one more thing. <laughs> Mistletoe basically means poop on a stick. <laughs> no, it does not. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon words <laughs> mistle, meaning dung, and tan, meaning twig. Uh, ah, twig dung. Poop stick. Because mistletoes rely a lot on birds and mammals to eat them. And then the berries are covered in a sticky glue called viscin, which can survive through an animal's digestive tract. Mm, so as they poop, oh. it like sticks to tree branches. And then that's how they become <gasps> a parasite on whatever Whoa. plant that they become a parasite on. Because it's like poop and then they're stuck. And they're just going to grow right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Up that's in amazing. the top. I guess that's why it's always up there. Mm-hmm. So why poop stick? Why are we smooching underneath it? That I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Kind of romantic. <laughs> this, is, this isn't culture show. It's sci show. Yeah. Oh, right. It's not mouth one more thing. It's butt one more thing. <laughs> <laughs>